Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're very welcome to Tuesday afternoon's late lunch on LMFM radio. I have a smile on my face. Will I tell you why? I was heading to North Loud early this morning and I was going off the... Uh, the non-primary route outside the north of Drogheda onto the motorway at Monaster Boys and I looked at the, I had to uh, stop to allow a couple of cars by on the roundabout and I just looked and there they were there they were in all their glory what am I talking about snowdrops in full bloom a load of them there on the roundabout and I was I delighted to see them harbingers of spring the little ones ahead of the dafts of course but lovely to see them after the real hard weather we've had and this mildness the last few days but they're the first snowdrops I've seen this year are your snowdrops up? Have you snowdrops in your garden? If you have snowdrops up, you know what you'll do for me today? Take a wee snap of them and WhatsApp it into me, will you? To 086-1800-658 and you'll even brighten my day even more if you have them. I have to let you in a secret. I bought snowdrop bulbs last year and dafts. Put the dafts in but didn't put the snowdrops in. They're still in the bags. Oh, maybe they'll be okay for next year. Anyway, your snowdrop picks, if you have any, they're the first I've seen this year. 86 1800 Eight. We have a great line-up for you on the show this afternoon. Let's get straight to business. I was telling Louise, I'm in trepidation and fear of my next guest. Probably most fearful I've ever been on the show in all the years. When I tell you she's a horror academic, consultant and lover of things dark, deadly and delicious. Yes, she is a lecturer at Trinity College and she specialises in horror. I'm delighted to say hello this afternoon to Dr Sarah Cleary. Hello, Sarah. Hi, how are you? You're how not, are you? I'm good. You're not going to take a lump out of me, are you? No, I'm not. But I kind of love that introduction, though. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you're so welcome to the show. I have never interviewed anybody like you, I have to say, before. <laughs> where, where did this all spring from? I'm really curious. Yeah. Yeah, I listen, I mean, the thing about it is, is when it comes to horror fans, we all tend to have a very, very similar background. And I suppose a lot of it has to do with our childhood and the fact that even from the earliest stages, we just had this fascination with the dark and this fascination with kind of the more gory and visceral elements. But the thing about it is, if you look back on all our childhood fairy tales and a lot of the childhood films that we kind of watched, a lot of them are very dark. Mm. A lot of them do tend to kind of probe uh, very kind of like dark and disturbing elements about life. If you look at any of the Grimm's fairy tales, and I guess as a little girl, I just absolutely was drawn to these type of things and certainly was indulged by my parents thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) So it began from childhood and as you say there you can read into a lot of stuff like that you know that dark side for sure. Can I tell you my background in it when I was growing up and it's much much uh, before your time the Hammer House of Horror Frankenstein and Dracula and you know what used to happen I have one sister Katrina and I'm a little older than her but she'd go to bed when they were on I forget what night during the week and I'd be I'd pretend to go to bed listen to this listen to this Sarah and I'd creep back down the stairs and I'd be allowed watch Frankenstein and then I wouldn't sleep for the rest of the night and I mean, this is the thing about horror. It gives us this absolute visceral thrill. It's the frisian. And I think a lot of our horror academics and indeed a lot of horror fans and people who work in the industry, they absolutely, they never lose that frisian. Mm. They never lose that um, element of wanting to kind of be excited. And it's that visceral thrill that kind of keeps you alive. But the thing about horror is, is that there's so 
many layers to it. And we have kind of the top layer where it's like, as you described there, it's that excitement. Mm. It's that kind of thrill that you get when you're, say, standing on the side of the road and you go to walk out and your friend grabs you by the scruff of the neck because the bus is coming. And it's that moment where you go, oh my God, you know, and horror often gives us that thrill. Yes. It's that kind of excitement. Yeah. But there's many, many layers to horror and that's the real beauty of the genre is that, you know, first and foremost, it's the only genre that's an emotion Mm. and it taps into a whole cornucopia of emotions. Mm. Because I think of, they were the sort of the the early ones. Now, they were frightening in their own way, the Hammer House Mm. of Horror, but then you come on to the likes of The Exorcist, The Shining, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, all of those films, again, they, 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 what they all share, they're all very different in their kind of their content and, and their themes. But what they all share primarily is this idea of the layered effect. And one of my favorite horror directors of all time is named George Romero, the late George Romero, who really single-handedly invented the subgenre of the zombie film. Mm. He would always talk about the lasagna effect. And this is something that very much I've kind of ascribed to, both as a fan and as an academic all my life. And at the top, you have all the gooey cheese. And that's the kind of the excitement part. And you can really, you know, if you want to, you can just eat the cheese if you want and just walk away and you've had fun. But then you go down into the layers. And the deeper you go, the more substantial the layers become. Mm. And this is where films like Text Chains and Massacre, um, The Exorcist, what they do is they really probe a lot of very complicated social commentary. But instead of, you know, when you read, like, when you listen to politics or you listen to the news, you can kind of feel, like, (laughs) drained. (laughs) You feel like, oh, my God, the world is just such a bad place. It's complicated. It's too much to bear. Yeah. What all these layers do is they create what we call a safe space, right? And people think, what are you talking about? Our safe space? They seem to be, you know, a kind of opposite. But really what they are is a fictional safe space. And we're able to kind of unpack and explore a lot of the more complicated aspects of life, such as death, birth, love, religion, intimacy, all of those sorts of things. And we're able to probe them. And probably one of the biggest things that horror does well, and one of the most complicated social commentaries that we have, of course, is mental health. And it very much is able to kind of, maybe not supply the answers, but certainly give us a platform to be able to explore it in a way that we can't outside of horror. Mm. Do you know, I'm getting really worried now because sitting beside (laughs) me on the desk, you're not going to believe this. You mentioned the world lasagna, didn't you? Yes, I did. You've got lasagna there beside you. <laughs> I have a recipe for lasagna sitting beside me here that I'm thinking of making for me tea this evening. Oh, there is something happening here for sure today. But here's the thing, and I, I, I've been looking at you and what you've been writing about and what you discuss as well. Two things I want to ask you about this. Mm. Why do we go back? Why, when it frightens the beach, you know, out of us, do we go again and look again or read again or involve ourselves in this again? Why do we do that when it, when it has an effect on us? Because it's the thrill of the chase. Okay. It's why we do roller coasters. It's why we have that a sense of excitement. Everybody has kind of their limits in terms of what they find exciting. You know, some people want to jump out of planes. Some people take a risk on the bingo. Everybody has their own thing that they do in order to step outside the humdrum of every life. It might be just picking up a book and reading something saucy or racy. But everybody has that thing that they tap into because what can often happen in life is you wake up, you go to work, you talk to your friends, you come home again and you wash, rinse, repeat. And what horror does is it taps into this whole area of life called memento mori or remember you must die. And what the kind of the inverse of that, I suppose, is that it's not negative. It's actually reminding you to live because you are facing death. And that's what horror does. Horror actually is about the light. It's not about the dark, funnily enough. It's a light that tells you that, you know, we're all mortal, so you better live and enjoy life because it's coming to an end. 
Now, that's all the subconscious stuff. But ultimately, what it does is it gives us this sense that we're alive, that we've just stepped outside in front of the bus and our friend grabs us by the cuff. It gives us a glimpse with death. And that works as this thrill or excitement in the way that you often hear it referred to like a roller coaster. Why do people do roller coasters? Why do people play bingo? Why do people embark upon things that give them a thrill? Mm. And that's exactly why we keep going back all the time. And you, building on that, you, you, I, yeah. I've seen you've been saying, you know, when you look at horror and then you look at real life, look at the horror of real life. Look at the yeah. horror of this world we live in today and what's going on around it. You know, when you compare that to the horror genre of, you know, reading, writing, movies, etc., real life is well worse, isn't it? Oh, my God. It gives me the worst horror film any day of the week than the sixth one, um, you know, on yeah. the news. <laughs> yes. Like, honest to God. And this is the thing. I mean, there's a great, the great uh, director, John Carpenter, once he was in an interview, he, you know, he was talking about the way one day people came up to him and they said, how do you, why do you write such horror? Why do you create such scary, horrible things for us to kind of engage with? And he said, have you seen the world around you? Horror is an escape from that. And horror provides us with a fantastical space. Now, the thing is, is even though, you know, not all types of horror is um, fantasy, a lot of horror, you know, is set in real life, you know. Yeah. And the thing what about the real life horror is, you often hear a narrative around horror being desensitizing. And the more horror you engage with, the more desensitized you'll become to it. And actually, the opposite is true. What happens is, is that when you watch a lot of horror, and especially realistic horror, and horror set in reality, is that it kind of jerks you awake to the plight of various things around you. So people use horror as a form of social commentary to talk about things like, it, you know, for example, course of control. Course of control in this country has only been introduced since 2019. Mm. That's literally how recent it is that we have legislation for it. The horror genre has been talking about that since Gothic literature in the mid 1700s, yes. because it was a place in which we could have conversations without it becoming an you know a mundane occurrence. Mm. So it gives us this space to discuss things and often in a hyperbolic way because we've become desensitized to it in real life. For example, you know, it's an awful thing to, to admit to as a society, but we almost have become accustomed to the horrific um, incidents of shootings, yes. school shootings, public shootings. Yes. We're almost desensitized to them at this point. Horror resensitizes us. It sensitizes us to the plight of people and social issues. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I can really see. And look, as you mentioned, California, there's been two awful shootings there. And, yeah. and every day now in Ireland, it's it's commonplace. And you're right, we are desensitised. Let me throw a few quick fire questions at you from listeners. They want to know a few things from you while you're with me. Why do vampire and werewolf films never go out of fashion? That's one for you. <laughs> Why is that? Werewolf and vampires and the zombies, and it's because they are the. So I, I'm, a, I'm a zombie girl. I have to say, so I'm very excited to see The Last of Us um, hit the small screen at the moment, which is an adaptation of the video game. Yes. So I'm very excited to see zombies back. So that's my my pets are zombies. But when it comes to the vampire, when it comes to the werewolf, the zombie, these are enduring horror tropes. And what they tend to do is is they they act almost like vessels. These like the zombie, the werewolf, and the vampire, and they act as vessels that we can fill up with social anxieties of the time. So when we look at like say the vampire when in um, in the nineteen 30s. He was very much the Bela Lugosi's vampire from 19... Oh, yes. Burnings. Yeah. Oh, so he was yeah. very much considered a vessel for colonialism, xenophobia, and fears about the other. Mm. And that concern is something that has stayed with us right up to the present day. We don't like others that aren't like us. We're mm. afraid of them. 
Mm. They, they might have different colour skin to us. They might have different religion to us. They might act a different way. And we're always a little bit nervous of that. Mm. And the vampire represents that sometimes for us and allows us to be able to deal with those fears. Yes. So... The colonialism, xenophobia, racism, and then during the um, vampires became very much in vogue by no coincidence during the AIDS crisis, because obviously we were able to unpack fears around viruses because the vampire, by dint of its very nature, passes on viruses. So we were able to latch on a lot of fears. So they, they act as vessels that we can almost like a jug put all our social anxieties into and then once we pour them out again we can unpack and explore it in a much more safe way than dealing it in real life. That's so interesting. Do you believe in ghosts and presences and things um, like that? Do you know what? Like, I, I, I think when it comes to, to paranormal activity, I certainly would, you know, I think I believe in energy. So I believe yeah. that energy, bad energy, I think good energy, you know, you walk into a house sometimes and you know straight away that someone's in a bad mood. Mm. I'm, I'm fascinated by that sort of stuff. I'm fascinated by you walk into an empty house and you have a feeling that someone is there with yeah. you. I'm fascinated <laughs> by all of that. But... I was asked this question at a wedding a couple of months ago and he's, you know, the person said, you know, oh, you're walking down the road in the middle of the night. Are you afraid, like, you know, a ghost is going to jump out at you or the banshees go, whatever. And I said, well, you've obviously never been a woman walking down the street late at night because <laughs> the last thing I'm worried about <laughs> is a ghoul or a goblin jumping out at me late at night. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, um, yeah, I, 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 the jury is out to mm. a small extent. <laughs> you know, funny thing, I'm just thinking of, as you say it there, about you walking down the street or whatever. I remember, I would tell you, watching those Frankenstein and Dracula films, etc. When I'd be coming down the stairs at home in the dark, there mightn't be a light on, I'd often feel there was somebody chasing me down the stairs and it'd be all <laughs> in my head coming from, from this type of stuff. It is an absolutely fascinating area. Tell me yeah. about uh, your new monograph The Myth of Harm before we finish yeah yeah so it's my first book that I've published with uh, Bloomsbury uh, based upon my research that I conducted over the course of my PhD and basically what this book is it covers a hundred years worth of horror and it probes the concept of media effects especially media, negative media effects that have been associated with the horror genre and what I do essentially in this book is really unpack what our fears are around children and horror. And really, in the course of my research, I came across, you know, and I, and I went in with as an unbiased opinion as I possibly could. But really what I, un, in, in, you know, kind of uncovered is at the heart of many moral panics related to children and media effects, whether that's video games, horror films, uh, quote unquote, violent material is that they, the media effects are completely and utterly unfounded. But yet we have perpetuated this myth that somehow entertainment uh, in the guise of horror, in the guise of film, comic books, cinema, videos, video games, can somehow be harmful to children in isolation from every other factors, such as poverty, abuse, uh, mental health issues. Mm. And I felt that it was time to create, you know, to really, to really kind of go for the jugular and blow apart this myth because every single time, you know, we were talking about school shootings there, you hear about school shootings, you hear about children doing things that, you know, are considered completely inappropriate outside the norm, such as, you know, maybe being involved in a violent crime being involved in a school shooting, whatever it is, acting inappropriately. Very, very often, almost every time in the media, you'll hear the word media effects. You'll hear them talking about they loved playing violent video games. They watched scary movies. They listened to heavy, you know, metal, whatever it is. And really what I want to do is go, okay, guys, it's the 21st century. Enough is enough. And if you go back far enough, you can see how this myth has really just been perpetuated since 
the dawn of the horror yes. genre because it's such an easy scapegoat. It's a fascinating preview to a book. I need a copy of this book. I want to read it and I want to invite you back again when I get yes. the book and read it, if that's okay. Yes? Absolutely. Brilliant. Yeah, you can get the book on Amazon. Lovely. Um, it's in hardback right now, but it will be out in softback in paperback soon. You have been lovely. I had nothing to fear. <laughs> Dr. Sarah Cleary, Dr. Sarah Cleary, brilliant. Thank you for joining me. Talk to you again. Thank you very much, Terry. Have a good day. You bye. too. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Thank you for your snowdrop snaps. Keep them coming to me. If you have snowdrops up in your garden or a little bed or a pot or wherever you live, I'd love to see them. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp in your snowdrops to me. I saw them this morning at the uh, one of the main roundabouts out at Monaster Boys heading up to North Louth. Breed Sullivan sends me in a lovely picture of snowdrops from her garden. There's another one there. I don't know who you are, but snowdrops up since the 12th of January. God, that's a few days ago on the hard weather uh, we've had in between. Uh, there's one, Anne from Kells. Snowdrops out today and out since last week as well, Jerry. So there you are. They're up and about and smiling at us, the little white uh, heads in them. They're beautiful, aren't they? They really are. And lovely to see them at this time of the year. And, of course, the big yellow fellas to follow the dafts. I see mine peeping up at the moment from the pots and the ground. But they're not that far advanced, which is good to see. So they'll be a little bit later on. Hopefully into March when they open up. They're getting earlier every year. Ah, oh, you're so good sending me in your snowdrop pics. Yes, I mentioned I saw the first snowdrops I've seen this year on the roundabout at Monaster Boyce earlier on today. And you're very good. You really are. Jerry Reynolds in RD. Hello, Jerry. I see your pictures of your lovely snowdrops. The beautiful. Another uh, listener on to me. Put your name to them. Let me know who you are. My first snowdrop of the year, Jerry, has appeared today. Oh, what a thrill that is. And there's a listener in Mullery. Malera. You know it's Malera, don't you? You've been listening to Late Lunch in Malera. Yes, they were out on the 14th, Jerry, but look at them today. And I've two comparison pictures sent to me back on the 14th of January, but look today. Wow, you have loads and loads of snowdrops. Aren't they just beautiful? Keep them coming to me by WhatsApp, your snowdrop pics. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp them into me. I just love them. The do me owl heart good and I'll give you a mention and uh, praise you and love you for doing it. Thanks a million. We move on on late lunch this afternoon and I spoke to my next guest previously. On this topic, um, the topic, is, of course, is homework. And you may have noticed that our president, Michael D. Higgins, spoke last week about homework and gave us his views on it. He's not a fan, obviously, Dave Hewitt. Welcome back to the show. Jerry, thank you very much. I'm sitting here with a big smile and a big <laughs> grin on my face, uh, which is which is absolutely brilliant. Uh, yeah, Michael D came out last week, and uh, what what he did was basically he he kind of revigorated me in my uh, in my battle of uh, sport over homework. If I could just mention that again, Jerry, to your listeners, um, a big help would be uh, I've launched a Facebook page. I said the last time, sport over homework. Um, and as I said, you know, to, to you know, to, to get campaigns going, uh, you know, we need support. Now, as I said, I'm not asking people to stand outside, you know, uh, the, the government buildings with placards or anything like that. Just simply go over to uh, your Facebook uh, page and like Sport Over Homework because every like helps. And um, you know, there, there, there's uh, there's people from you know all over the county, uh, Dublin, Loud, Mead, uh, on that. And uh, their input is, is crucial because, you know, Jerry, I'm just instigating this, uh, you know, uh, that's all I'm doing. Uh, I, I need people to, to come along and, 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 mm. and, you know, just support it. And, and, yes. and even even if, if there's people there who don't agree with it, you know, let's let's have a talk about it. But what, what, what uh, interestingly enough, Jerry, there, I just looked at a few polls there recently. And um, one is on the, the, the Irish Mirror, that i.e. should homework be banned? Yes, 98%. No, two percent. Wow. That's the third one I looked at, it and it's 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 been around that. The lowest I've seen it was ninety six percent. So obviously, there's, there's there's a lot of parents are out there, and they're thinking the very very same as me. You know. 
Well, can I ask you this? Are you totally against homework per se? You know, let's talk about at primary level for a start mm-hmm. and then go into secondary. What about, pri- I know in the, in the younger ages when they start off school and that and into infant, senior infants, even into first, they, do, they don't get a lot of homework. But no. do you feel there's a place for any homework in primary uh, school? Yeah, of course there is. You know, of course there is. There's, 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 there's always places there. Like, if you remember the last time that I was on, I did say, Jerry, if, if you know, if I could help this cause 1%, well then it's, it's, it's doing good you know uh, mm. since Michael D came out we can probably up that a bit to 10% maybe you know uh, it's going to take a long time for you know any decision like this to be made but obviously with with the younger kids uh, yeah like you know they come home from school earlier for one uh, you know the parents you know can do the homework with them the, the ABCs and the, the basic learning not a problem whatsoever but it's it's kind of when, when you go into the, the secondary school and uh, like you know I, I've had three kids now as you know in secondary school and you you, you, you you can see the difference when they're in school because there's a slow pressure that builds up uh, and it builds up with first, second, third year and third year is exam year and then that pressure is there constantly and as I said before I've seen the girls in training uh, you know, I've spoke to them as I always do with all the, the girls that I, I, you know, I look after and coach, yep. and they're all the same. You know, the, the one, not one will tell you, yeah, homework is, is brilliant. As I said, I use the word; it becomes a chore. And if you're doing a chore at home, you're not learning properly. It's as simple as that. Mm. So I'm not against homework per se, but basically, I'm against the kids being under pressure. That's the best way to put it. If there if there was a balance in there. If they said, okay, you know, 45 minutes revision of, of what we did in school today, fantastic. But one thing that I, I, I've spoken to a, a, a lady who, who I know, one of her kids plays with uh, soccer with ourselves, and she's a lecturer in uh, UCD. And one thing that she did say is, what happens in colleges and in schools, uh, for instance, uh, we'd say fourth year Loretto Navin, uh, the, 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 you know, the kids have five or six different classes. The teachers in each class for that year do not know what homework the other is given. So you could have four teachers given a massive amount of homework that would build up to possibly three hours of work at home. Whereas if they spoke to each other and they said, we limit the homework, okay, I give it today, you give it tomorrow, and so, so on and so forth. I'm not saying for homework to be and all together. I'd love it to be, to be honest with you, because uh, as Michael D. Higgins says, people can learn in other ways, uh, and you know, other crafts, music, uh, sports, uh, and so on and so forth. And the, the biggest thing of all nowadays, they can learn socially, because I think we all know, uh, you know, uh, years ago, we were all much more social uh, as kids than the kids are now due to social, you know, the social media and so on and so forth. So, no, I'm not saying ban homework altogether, but, you know, if, if, if we do, if, if, we, if we get there by, by small steps rather than drastic actions, I think that'd be the best, the best way uh, to, to look at it and the best cause, you know. You'll always have outliers, you know what I'm talking about. Like, even mm-hmm. if you've got a, a cross-party, let me use that political term, agreement on homework with everybody buying in, you're yeah. still always going to get those who say, well, you know what I mean you're going to do and and push children to do the hours and hours especially as you said third year and into leaving cert year as well that's a difficult one isn't it it's difficult to you know get buy in across the board hundred percent is difficult and as I said uh, you know small steps first and foremost and you know I think Michael D you know people will listen and, and as I said earlier on this has reinvigorated my, my desire you know uh, when I say reinvigorate it is always there but as you know uh, you know I have my own company in Irish minibikes uh, I manage uh, and, and, and coach uh, three or four girls uh, soccer teams uh, so you know to, to get the, the time to do everything uh, is, is, is very, very tough. Now, as I said, uh, the next thing that I'm going to do myself is uh, after we, we finish, I'm going to put a poll up as well and share it on social media. Uh, and what I'd like also, uh, the, the last time that I was on, uh, some of your listeners actually sent uh, some texts in. Uh, like, I'd like a little bit of feedback because, you know, sometimes, you know, I don't know everything. You know, this is only my opinion. Yes. Uh, you know, some people People might, you know, you know, argue with it, but I'd love to hear the argument. You know, I'd really love to hear it genuinely. You know, uh, because I think if I heard an argument for homework in school, it would probably, you know, I'd probably agree with some parts of it. 
but still because I'm uh, into sports and you know I think sport is so important for children these days it's it's vital as far as I'm concerned um, and I, I, I would probably you know still wager on the side of sport over homework so as I said if, if, if your listeners can if there's a, a text line that they can uh, you know um, text in with any opinions that they have uh, do they agree with do they not agree with it uh, you know is there you know what what what's, what would be the next course of action that they would take uh, this would all help me uh, along the way and as I said to my girls that I coach I'm not going to stop. You know, I'm going to keep going. Uh, and, uh, you know, if I guess, if, if I up it to 10% of, of, of something that, that, that's done about it, uh, that'll be a, a huge result, you mm. know. It certainly will. And just to remind listeners again, Sport Over Homework is the Facebook page. And if you have a view on this, you can let me know today by WhatsApp or text 086-1800-658. Do you agree with Dave Hewitt on the homework issue? If you've anything to say at all, let me know. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp. WhatsApp or text. I'm going to leave it there today. Thank you so much for joining me. Wish you well with your campaign and all you do. Yeah, very good. Thanks, Jerry. Talk to you Thanks soon, for okay? joining me. Take Go care. Bye bye. That's bye. Dave Hewitt there. Man, passionate. Uh, sport over homework is his particular platform. Well, Louise, uh, just looking at the breaking news there, the Oscar nominations have been announced and as they say, a great day for the Irish with Kerry Condon, Paul Meskell, Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Barry Keoghan and Martin McDonough and of course the movie on Colleen Kuhn all receiving Oscar nominations, which is fantastic. Mm. It really is. And good luck to everybody. To get a nomination is simply wonderful. Yes. And to win the gong ultimately, well, that would be just the icing on the cake. I I see in a lot of circles, a lot of talk about Colin Farrell and uh, Barry Keoghan, perhaps, uh, from the Banshees and the movie itself. But we'll wait and see. Anyway, the chap that ate all his cornflakes. <laughs> He's a great young fella, isn't he? <laughs> He's just ahead of him, that chap, since he was a... Remember, he appeared as a young fella first and you just knew he was going places <laughs> and, by God, has he, for sure. What about the homework issue, you being mm. a mammy? What's your view? I'd agree with a certain amount of homework because I think, you know... They're big classes, a lot. You know, they are big classes in a lot of schools, and the teacher is teaching, say, maths, say, algebra, mm. and she does. She can only do a certain amount, and I think if she gives three or four for each child to do, and they go home and try, no, not twenty four, just mm. three or four, but the child then realizes they can or can't do it, and the yes. teacher then realizes the next day, okay, we need to do more work collectively as a class mm. to help them out. So I think it kind of shows if a child goes home. Can they do it themselves? Or yes. if they can't, there's a problem there. Yes, so there is a place for it, oh, but I, not yeah. weighing not them down. Oh, stop oh, the lights. No. Did you ever get lines when you were at school? No, we I ever actually given liked lines? homework. No, but we ever given lines for being bold? No. Oh, look at that. A model student mm-hmm. we have in Miss Louise Verda. Oh, I got lines. Did you? Oh, jeez, I got plenty of lines. I got plenty of lines. Writing out the same thing a hundred times. Did you write. never get lines? Never. I will behave myself in class in the future. Write it out a hundred times. <laughs> I will share my chips. N-E-V-E-R. <laughs> N-E-V-E-R. Never is what I wrote out uh, there. Yeah, um, I got plenty of lines. That was Did punishment. You? Oh, yeah. It should be a bit of a was riot. Was there detention? I got the tension too. Did yeah, I was. I never got, got the tension. tension. Yeah, got the tension. Was fined. Uh, I was never kicked out now. I was off. <laughs> I was put out a few times for talking too much. <clears throat> I wonder where that came from. Uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, those you lines. Chatty. You know, That's a good thing. Yeah. Sociable. <laughs> Very much so. Oh, those lines. I used to hate them. I'd come home and give out. Yeah, and if you didn't do them, you'd get more. How many did you do? A hundred? Right out a hundred times. I will never misbehave in the classroom again. And there's oh, they'll give you something else to write. 30 lines per page. Yeah, you have to keep writing and writing. And then if you went in the next day with them not done, they'd double it. Oh, stop. Pretty we hadn't photocopiers back then. <laughs> but did you learn from it? I don't know. Were you good at it for a while after? For a few days. <laughs> Just for a few days and then sure. 
They should have thought of a different punishment for you then. Return to Rose. Jerry says, Catherine, I totally agree with no homework. It is a cause of great distress every evening. My daughter has had enough of schoolwork every day, then hours in the evening. I do think they should go over the table, spellings and reading, but not pages Mm. of writing and maths, etc. I think that's a very good point made by Catherine. Snowdrops are grand, but I've seen my first fruit fly of the year, says Paddy. There you go, the heat. Jerry, do you know, it's lucky to have snowdrops out in your garden before St. Bridget's Day, says Helen. Good luck. There you are, says Helen. It's time for our Two on Tuesday. Two on Tuesday. Playing the songs that just never quite made it to number one. But we were so close. I'm to be number one. We were so close. Two on Tuesday. Yesterday's song was written by Iggy Pop and David Bowie when they lived together in Berlin. It first appeared on Pop's debut solo album called The Idiot in 1977. But the song became more widely known when it was re-recorded by Bowie, who released it as the second single from his most successful album, Let's Dance, in 1983. Yes, your two on Tuesday this afternoon was number two in the UK charts for one week on the 14th of June, Two on Tuesday, David Bowie and China Girl. I like that song. I really do. But what kept it from number one? Just before I tell you, David Bowie had many number ones, but he had four songs that made it to number two in the UK chart. So I have more scope with Bowie over the coming weeks and months. Anyway, it had to be a good one to keep that off top spot, didn't it? Well, when I tell you, it was their fifth number one in the UK. It stayed there for four weeks. Here it is, the number one that stopped Bowie in his tracks. It's The Police. And you know it already, don't you? The lead-in. It's just timeless, isn't it? Which one will Louise love? Bowie or The Police? Stay with us. Police, the number one that denied Bowie. Go on, Louise. You should have played that for Dr. Sarah Cleary at the start. Uh, the horror doctor, shouldn't <laughs> I? <laughs> we'll, I'll be watching you. Anyway, I take it you love the police, do you? Yeah. 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 I, I it's, it is a timeless that. classic. Yeah. I was I, never... No, I never... I'm probably the one of the very, very few that just never got David Bowie. Apart from know? the one he did with Bing Crosby. Oh, no. <laughs> He's turning in his grave <laughs> listening to that. Oh, <laughs> David, apologies. I'm apologising on our behalf. <laughs> David, you didn't hear that. You didn't hear. It. Another listener says, love Bowie, Jerry, but it has to be the police, says a listener there to us. <laughs> so it gets the thumbs up from Louise. I actually, he's an acquired taste, David Bowie, but I acquired mm. his taste many moons ago and I, I, he's terrific altogether. But anyway, police, their fifth number one. Um... Jerry, you've just reminded me of those lines in school. Oh my God, there's somebody. I I got them constantly, says a listener. But Louise, listen to this message. I love it. My very first day at secondary school, we were told to learn what a telephone was. Myself and a lot of other pupils didn't learn it off by heart, so we had to write it out 50 times. And Jerry, this was the line. A telephone is an apparatus by which two people may communicate at a distance, their voices being transmitted by wire, by electric vibrations. That was over 50 years ago. And it shows you, Jerry, repetition works. Isn't that just Is it repetition or trauma? Both. (laughs) Both. Isn't that fabulous? Thank you so much. 
That's great. It really is. I want to read it again. A telephone is an apparatus by which two people may communicate at a distance. Their voice is being transmitted by wire, by electric vibrations. 50 times. Oh, your hand did fall off, wouldn't it? Well, you never forgot it. All these years later. They don't give lines nowadays. Why would you need to remember that? Uh, you no, know, word for word. You you, you don't need to... Re- it yeah. was a punishment. Silly. It was a punishment for not, you know, memorising something. But there you have it. Anyway, it stuck. Thank you so much. Fantastic message. Thank you indeed. Late lunch, LMFM radio. After the break here, we've we've an offer, haven't we, Louise? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, wait, no, I've an offer we before the break. I've an offer before the break. I nearly forgot. Anyway, <laughs> your roots are showing. No, Louise, I'm not talking to you. What's you the- run about me here? <laughs> <laughs> I knew. I knew you'd take it off like that. No, Louise, this is not to you. This is your roots are showing. It's Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) I thought she was going to just take off the headphones and walk out of the studio. (laughs) A live insult on air. No, your roots are showing, not Louise. It's Ireland's (laughs) folk conference and it's happening in Monaghan at the moment and it's sponsored by L'Oreal. No, it's not sponsored by L'Oreal. Anyway, it's happening at the minute in Monaghan, but at the end of the week, that's this Thursday, there's a wonderful concert featuring top artists like the old sea legs, renowned banjo players, Grammy Award winner Ron Block, who performed with Alison Krauss, Damien O'Kane and Keela is going to be there. That's this Thursday night it's happening. Would you like to go along to that special gala concert at the end of your Roots Are Showing Week? Well, you can, because I have tickets to give away today. Here's the question. How many strings are there on a banjo? They're there, old sea legs playing the banjos. How many strings on a banjo? Answers to 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text and we'll pick a couple of people to go along to that concert in Monaghan. It's happening this Thursday evening. You've got to be able to go this Thursday evening and uh, good luck to you. Send us in your entries now. Back in a moment with another offer just for you. Louise is just after putting on a beanie. I suppose that's it forever now. I'll never mention the roots again. There you go. <laughs> Only gotten. <laughs> Late lunch, LMFM Radio. Just want to mention something before we move on. There's a very special event happening in Shearman's Bar in Dunlear this weekend, the 28th, and uh, that's a Saturday evening. And it's it would have been uh, the 60th birthday of a very very special man, but uh, unfortunately. He passed away at the age of 58 a couple of years ago. And the Harmon family are organising this special night to remember their dad, George. It would have been his 60th. And it's a tenor in and all proceeds are going to palliative care in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital who looked after George so well uh, near to his passing. And if you're around on Saturday evening, they'd love to see you there. There's music, uh, re-rog, as rooly-a-booly as they'd say, in Sherman's this Saturday night. Everybody welcome, uh, welcome remembering George. Now we move on on late launch and I'm delighted to say hello to a lady I know well on the airwaves. She's the uh, proud owner of Happy Days Montessori in Rathoth in County Mead. Eilish Balf, hello again. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. We're going to talk flipping fashion. Now, I've insulted Louise about her roots a minute ago, and I'm saying a very funny word to you, flipping fashion. Uh, explain to listeners, please. Um, so we are launching an initiative in the Rappo Community Centre called Flipping Fashion, OK? And um, it's, it's what we're doing is it's kind of about sustainability and ethical um, choices in the fashion that we have now. So um, we got a grant from the Coca-Cola Thank You Fund. So we're delighted about that. And it was for an idea that we came up with where we want to take 12, 50, uh, 16 to 23 year olds and we want to teach them to sew and to fall back in love with clothes they already have because there is an ethical responsibility about this fast fashion that we've all bought into at this stage, okay? Um, so the um, the participants will learn how to sew. Uh, they will learn how to kind of repurpose their fashion that they already have. And um, so that dress that they have in their uh, wardrobe that's been seen on Instagram once and they don't want to wear it anymore, they can bring it in. We'll have sewing machines here and we can change it into a skirt or we can get the Monty's and put it on the dress and just change it into something else So we're trying to teach the 12 people, um, as I said, the cost of fast 
fashion. And um, so, yeah, so it's just kind of be more deliberate with your purchases. So it's going to be an eight week course. And um, on those eight weeks, we're going to teach them how to sew. We're going to give them money to find um, clothes within secondhand shops and stuff like that. Um, So we're really excited about it and um, we're hoping it goes really, really well. I'm sure it will. So eight weeks, what night of the week is it? It's a Friday. It's a Friday evening at 7 to 9 o'clock, 7 p.m. to to 9 p.m. Okay, and I know you have five who've committed already, so you're looking for seven more because it's four, 12 people. I I really like the thought process behind this, you know, fast fashion, the cost of it. And, you know, we used to hear a lot about reduce, reuse and recycle. You're reducing, rewearing, recycling, repairing and reselling even more ores in your whole mantra about this I, I love yeah. it I, I really I really do and you know we have become a throwaway society and there's no need uh, Eilish you know yourself look at your wardrobes you could repurpose lots of stuff in there yeah so it is it's, it's trying to change habits of like repeating outfits and, and if that means re-sewing different buttons on or bringing them to the alterations for repair or to put them into something else or re- even repurposing them into rags of household cloths but it's it's we're trying to reduce that um, you know, my my twenty year old daughter, she'll kill me for saying it. She gets a big haul for, from Sheen, and she doesn't like something. She's dumping it because it only costs five euro. But there's actually a massive cost behind that because obviously it's affecting the environment. It's going into a landfill, and those women, um, it's normally women, the machinists in the developing countries, they're being paid next to nothing for working in these kind of sweatshops. So there is an ethical. Um, kind of, you know, we, we have to kind of look at ourselves and go, you know, what is the real cost of fast fashion? And it's not really good. So we have to be more deliberate and thoughtful with our purposes because overconsumption with clothes is real. We all have stuff hanging in the wardrobes mm. that we haven't worn in ages, you know. Um, so it is, it's about repairing or reselling on and just keep keep kind of that, that thoughtfulness going and moving forward with our purchases, like resale sites are great resources as well. And we really have to get into that kind of mindful thought of like, you know, do I, do, can, I, can I give this to somebody else rather than putting it in the bin? Um, so that's what we're trying to, we're just trying to get our 12 participants, have a look to see. And then after the eight weeks, off they go. And then three months later, we're going to bring them back and we're going to say, did it change your habits? You know, because that's what yeah. we're really looking for. We will have to look at this and say, see, did it work? You know, mm. did the thought process that we had behind this idea, did it work? So, and hopefully it will. Well, <laughs> I'm with you all the way and I see the benefit of it. But you mentioned the age there. You're looking for uh, people between 16 and 23, men or women? Uh, both, both. Men or women. This is very important to say, yeah. boys. It's not just for the girl, yeah. it's for, for everybody. But I, I'll, I'll be devil's advocate with you for a second. If you take that younger generation and they yeah. post a picture of themselves, let's say on Instagram, yeah. uh, wearing an outfit or a dress or whatever, that's it. They'll only wear it once. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's it. Yeah, it's gone in the bin and I we I actually made my daughter do it. So she went to the races last Easter. She bought this beautiful blue dress that was posted on Instagram. I knew she would never wear it again. So we brought it down to the ladies here in Rathos um, Village in the Oranor, Patricia. And I got her to make it into a skirt and that's where we got the idea from. Um, and it's a beautiful blue skirt that she wears all the time now just with um, with runners and stuff because... While it was a, a formal dress, we mm. now made it into an informal skirt that yeah. she just wears out in the village. So, and it was very simple. We just had to like cut the top off it, make a little hem, and it became a skirt. And that's what we're trying to um, that's what we're trying to achieve with this initiative that we have. Well, so it th- doesn't have to be anything major. You yeah. don't have to turn it into something major. It can just be as simple as uh, cutting it in two and making a skirt out of it. That leads me to my next question. How much did that cost you to get that done? You know, the cost of that. You know, I, I've, I've heard this, that, you know, going to repair or, yeah. r- you know, repurpose something can be more expensive than buying, casting away what you have and buying something new, fast fashion. Yeah, no, it actually only cost us five euro because all they were doing was hemming it. Okay. So... Yeah. yeah, so it was really good. But that's the thing. We are getting uh, we are getting the machine. We are getting those sewing machines into the the community centre here. Grand. 
so they everybody will be able to come in and change um, their dresses and there, you know there won't be a price on it because we're, we want to teach them that you can do this quite easily you know yeah so you will also uh, as you mentioned earlier on be giving them some cash to go to a second hand yeah. shop themselves and they can pick up something and they can work on that or repurpose it as well I love it I, I really do love the concept here and I think we need to go back to this because years ago that's the way it was the sewing machine was part of an awful lot of homes and people repaired they fixed up yeah. they yeah. you know you know what I'm talking about and now yeah. Yeah. and it will make a huge difference going forward it's a question of trying to as you say you're you're aiming at the right target audience 16 to 23 if you get a dozen people and bring them on this I, I'll tell you what I want to talk to you when you bring them back is that okay to see how yeah, they got, got on as well yeah and, and perhaps yeah. one or two of them also would be nice you might come with them yourself and we'd just analyse how the whole thing went so look for people listening today who say you know what I'd love to give that a go. Well, how can people... Do you have to be from the Rathout area to get on board? Um, well, Rathout are the local area. So, yes. we are, as I said, we're looking for our participants, 16 to 23-year-olds. We have a fashion student that's going to help them. We also have two machinists as well. And Now, I'm the most uncreative person in the world, Jerry. but what I am good at is kind of putting things together. So I'm going to lead the project out and uh, we have another lady, Lauren McCormick, who's helping us as well. And she does a lot around sustainability. So we're giving them everything that they need. And then um, we have a photographer, Simon, who's going to come in and he's going to teach them how then to take pictures and put it up on the Internet of what they've done. So Great. It's, it's a whole, the whole project. And hopefully next year, if, uh, if it's a success, we could even have a fashion show. That's Why not? <laughs> Why not? You're thinking well ahead and that's what we like to see. Forward thinking and creative thinking as well. So, if you're from the Retote or the Greater Retote area, right, let's say, 16 to yeah. 23, it's for uh, eight weeks starting, yeah. uh, when does it start, first night? It's starting at the end, the last uh, Friday in February. Okay. And it will lead, it will lead, go on then for eight weeks. And as I said, after then, the eight weeks, they can go off for three months and we're going to bring them back and just have um, see does it actually change their habits of how they shopped or how they thought of their clothes. How do they get in touch with you? Um, they can get in touch with the Ratho Community Centre. Ratho oh, yeah. Community Centre. Ratho yeah. Community. What, and what about your own email? Uh, your own. Do you want to give that? If anyone yeah, wants to. Go? Yeah, it's eilishbalf at gmail dot com. So it's very easy. Just eilishbalf at gmail dot com. And um, yeah, they can get in touch with me and we'll sign them up. So I have five participants at the moment. So I'm looking for another seven. So that's E-I-L-I-S-H, Eilish Balf, B-A-L-F-E, yeah. at gmail.com yeah. to get in touch directly or at Thoth Community Centre. There's a listener on there to say, hi, my Jerry, my granddaughter, she's only 14, going on 15. Is she too young? Yeah, cause it's, because it's the Coca-Cola Thank You Fund, it was aimed 16. at 16 to 23-year-olds. Okay, sorry about that. She will yeah. be there in a, a very short space of time. 16 yeah. to 23-year-olds. I love this. It's flipping fashion, flipping <laughs> marvellous. Well done to you. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for Thanks for joining me on the show. Take care. That's Eilish. Bye bye, Balth. There, great woman. And if you're interested, do get in touch. Five places filled, seven to go. It'd be very, very worthwhile. You're with late lunch on LMFM Radio. It's finally the tables are starting to turn. Talking about a revolution. Tracy Chapman talking about a revolution on your late lunch this afternoon. I dedicate that one to our good friend Michelle Howard. Happy birthday, Michelle. It's your big day today. Enjoy. Great friend of ours. Great listener to LMFM Radio on the show. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, Michelle. No, I can't, Louise. I can't. can't. I can't sew. At all? Like if a button fell off your shirt or anything, could you sew back on? Or a hem I, fell I, down or... <laughs> I don't wear dresses, so hems... No, but the hem of your trousers. Trousers, yeah, you're right, you're right. Sorry, I see the way I was one track thinking. Um, uh, no, Louise. No, no, well, look, if a button fell off, mm. I'd, I'd 
probably just push a needle. needle in through it and and yeah mm. you know I, I'd give it a, a, a go but look I wouldn't you know Miriam would look after that you know what I mean she is a machine and that and could just rattle up anything to be honest with you you know to to fix it uh, oh, yeah, no she's very good at that isn't yeah she? no yeah. I, I wouldn't be able to and I always remember my granny Monica she was brilliant I can still see the singer machine and her at it and it wearing away and her look see me doing this with my feet under oh, the yeah, desk yeah. pressing the feet yeah. the it was one of those pedal and her pedaling away and mm. she was a brilliant they called them seamstress was it you mean you mentioned seams yeah. or hems or whatever yeah, she was known as a seamstress and people brought mm. their clothes to it That's, that was the way of the world you hadn't the money to be going out and buying stuff that you only wore once or whatever or got rid of or didn't wear again you know yeah. it was my mother-in-law's fantastic she makes bags she? and everything yeah. everything you can think of yeah. makes quilts you know and does all kinds of things whereas me I'm brilliant at the Frankenstein stitch but that's about it now we were talking about horror at the start of the yeah. show is you that why you've christened big it haphazard oh I know what you're talking about yeah the big <laughs> wide stitches ah, anything yes. at all to just keep it in place yeah. I sure look at it does <laughs> Stop in gap, it's green a stop thread gap, and any thread I can find, <laughs> even if it's white pair of trousers or anything, any anything goes. <laughs> it's like her diary, the same thing. Anything goes mm. at all. You'd never know what. But As look, my mother listen. always says, "Man going to Dublin won't see you." No. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Look at the snowdrops pick still coming in there. And people are just yeah. wonderful. Look at those there. I love the snowdrops, Jerry. Uh, enjoying your show. That comes in from Mary Kate this afternoon. Mary Kate, I love you. And thanks for taking time to send this lovely picture. It just brighten our day of the snowdrops there. There's another one on about the homework. And I like that comment. It's uh, it's to the point as well. It says, uh, I think a small amount of spelling and some reading for homework is quite enough, says Mary from RD. You know, without overloading. We were talking about the homework a little bit earlier on the show. No, I'm not good at this own. I'm, I tie artificial flies, you know, for fishing. Mm. Uh, I tie that. And that's an intricate process, you know, on a, on a vice and a little hook and you're putting the feathers on. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I'd be, you know, and now I need these. It's hard to see them. I have a special pair of glasses now that makes them. Binoculars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I'm not that bad, but I do need winkers to make them, to make the... The, the, the blind and the grey. Yeah. <laughs> to make the... Oh, you're getting back to me over them <laughs> roots for sure. That's... Great eye in the future. <laughs> anyway. Ireland's Folk Conference, Your Roots Are Showing, is taking place in Monaghan at the moment. And the finale gala concert happens this Thursday at the Four Seasons Hotel and Leisure Club in Monaghan, featuring old sea legs on their banjos, Ron Block of Alison Krauss fame, Damien O'Kane and Keela, they're all there performing. Wonderful night. And I did ask the question in relation to banjos. How many strings are there in a banjo? Well, there can be a four string, a five string, up to a 12 string. It was a stupid question, wasn't it? But anyway, everybody who sent us in strings of whatever number have been dropped into the hat and we give it a spin. And going along to the Four Seasons Hotel on Thursday night to that gala concert at the end of your roots are showing Ireland's Folk Conference is James Bagnell and Eileen Nishiadal. Well done to both of you. We'll be in touch to make the arrangements. More pictures of snowdrops. I just love them. Thank you indeed for sending them in. Another one there. Hi, Jerry. My granddaughter is 14. She loves sewing. She made three dresses for herself. She goes into secondhand shops and makes up her own stuff from them. Well done to your granddaughter. And thanks for letting us know that as well. Yes, we were talking uh, to Eilish Balf just before three about a new course happening in Rathoth where they're teaching young people to repurpose clothing. Paula says the generations under 30 to 40 aren't educated in practical things, Jerry. That's why in 2020 they had to be taught to wash their hands with the songs. It's Paula. I love, I love it, I love it. Thanks for getting in touch with us on the show. It's that time on Late Lunch for this. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. 
and today it's yes from this week January 2006 it's the number 4 today in the countdown chart and who is it well it's none other than Beyonce and the song features a fella called Slim Thug as well Mm, strange name that. Anyway, this song was supposed to be featured on the soundtrack of the 2006 film The Pink Panther, which Beyonce co-starred as Zania in that uh, particular production. But it wasn't included in the soundtrack. But they did release it uh, on its own. And when I tell you now that Beyonce herself, when questioned recently about the song, says she doesn't like it anymore. So bear with us as we play it for you today. It debuted at number four in the UK singles charts is where we have it today. Made it one more place up the charts to number three. Stayed in the charts for 12 weeks, but didn't go beyond number three in the UK charts. But it was four this week, January 2006. Here is Beyonce featuring Slim Thug. Check on it. Good girls gotta get down with the gangsters Go ahead, girl, put some back and some neck up on it While I stand up in the background and check up on it Featuring Slim Thug, the number four in the UK charts this week, January 2006. Midweek Wednesday, we'll bring you three, two on Thursday and the number one this week on Friday afternoon, round about this time. Final break this Tuesday afternoon and late lunch here on LMFM Radio. And afterwards, we hear about a big win for Dunshockland, Tidy Towns. Oh, they're celebrating in Dunshockland for sure because they've just been crowned winners of the National Pride of Place Awards. And to tell me more, I'm joined by their chairman, Luke Collar. In afternoon, Luke. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm good. Congratulations to all concerned. It's a wonderful achievement. This is a Nola Island Award. Yes, Jerry. Thank you very much. It is north and south. Uh, and it's great to have that sort of cooperation uh, through Cooperation Ireland for this event. Now, you have a very good track record, may I say. You've been knocking about uh, top of the pile for a while, haven't you? Yeah, we get nominated from time to time. And we had, 2011, we had, we were joint runners up. 2015, we were joint winners. So we could only go one way. And that was <laughs> to be outright winners. <laughs> well, well done to you. Because it takes a lot just to go that extra step. But I know in this citation, the, judge, the judges absolutely loved you and gave you great praise. For anybody else listening today, how do you do it? What, what, what have you got? What's the, the special ingredient that Dunshockland has? Well, basically, it's the community, and and for the for this event, you have to sort of get all of the various groups together, mm. uh, and sort of put your best foot forward. So, on on the day that the judges arrive was the twenty seventh of July. The venue was the community college, uh, and we had a, a a band there called the Vocalese to set the scene, um, and we then had a. 20 minutes thereabouts uh, pr- presentation illustrated with videos and slides uh, and we had two local professions to do that. Mm. We had 32 community stands right. and they were the local groups who came in, put up their displays uh, and the judges went and visited each stand, spoke to them and engaged, talked to them about what they were doing and what their plans were and that was the key. Uh, because they could see what the community was doing. Yeah, so it was a combined effort of so many to come together to, uh, to Absolutely. win this. The, yeah. the, the job of the Tidy Towns was just to coordinate. Yes. Uh, it was the community that did the work. Mm. But, you know, to have to win a Pride of Place is a wonderful acknowledgement for Tidy Towns and all those others involved. Being someone who's at the heart of it, you know, again... You know, you're a, a sizable place, you know, a growing population. You know, there's a lot to, you know, be brought to the equation to make your mark with these awards. Well, 
true. And and the next stage of, of that um, on that day was a tour of the of the yeah, town on the ground. Uh, yeah. Uh, and the first stop was the GA club. Mm. Now, now they're big into diversity and inclusion. Um, that their their presentation did impress. Okay. Uh, then St Chapman's Church of Ireland, uh, the judges had a look at the artifacts and listened to the history of the church. Uh, you know that uh, Dunshachlan derives its name from from St Chapman. And the uh, the Irish language version is Donogh Shocknell, Church of Shocknell. Right. So that's that's where we, that's where we're we're at. So, uh, so you're saying to me that I'm just trying to pick through and try to get to the essence of it here. You mentioned all the different groups that have come together, but those aspects, you know, of uh, the different faiths uh, that you uh, cater for, the multicultural aspect of it as well, you felt they were very important aspects. They were, and they were represented uh, on the stands. Uh, mm. You know, the, the uh, refugee groups, there was a Syrian family and there were uh, numerous others. Uh, and they were part of the of the event. Mm. Sport, Dunshockton, fantastic club as well. Winners of the Intermediate Championship last year, back yeah. in senior for the coming season. No harm either to show that, you know, that outlet for young people and all people w- within the community too. Sure, So, sure. you know... And then we, pr- we proceeded, on. you know, we proceeded from there, Jerry, uh, onto the former courthouse where the Historical Society displayed the Parnell banner. You'll hear more about in the future. Uh, a recently a recently um, restored Parnell banner. Mm. Uh, then we went to the library, uh, and there were some local artists painting, and the judicators were able to observe what they were at. Uh, across in St. Shocknell's School, uh, there was an exhibition uh, of um, painted posters, mm. 208 posters from youngsters who designed a climate action campaign. Terrific. Uh, and uh, we had, we had a, a, quite a long day. And this day, was, we, we, were, we were with us for about three hours. So it was, it was time for tea then. Mm. Uh, and we went to the pastoral centre. Frank McNamara was there to entertain the the the, the crowd. Mm. Uh, and um, we wound up. There were a few other encounters throughout the day. Yes, Dunshockland dance did a routine. Uh, there was a. Uh, a staged uh, act, theatre act at the court, uh, or, sorry, at the toll house, uh, where two of our members demanded payment because it was a former toll house uh, and it had to be paid before the judges were allowed to pass through. <laughs> I love it. You know, just little. Yeah, little things uh, like that. And where did you and end the up? Other thing, the on, other thing was they were transported in a vintage car ah. throughout the day. God, you pulled out the stops all over. Did you finish with a with a few jorums at the end of the day? Um, we we waited for a few weeks to to have a proper okay. celebration. All right, but look at you. Just we get a feel and we understand what you're saying there. Everybody pulled the weight. Everybody chipped in. You made that massive impression. And look, the proof is in the pudding. You are uh, number one at Pride of Place Awards and shocked in tidy towns coordinating uh, coordinating it all. Congratulations to you and to everybody Thank involved. You. Thank you very much. And one final group was the Coltus group who provided music. On Ah, yes. Very, very important indeed. Luke, continued success to everybody there. Delighted for you and keep up the great work. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thank you for joining me. Luke Colloran there, chairman of Dunshockland Tidy Towns, who pulled it all together for Dunshockland to be named Pride of Place overall winners on the island of Ireland for this year. Well done to them. That brings the curtain down on our late lunch show this Tuesday afternoon. What about tomorrow? Yes, well, I set the scene for the St. Bridget's Festival this year. Oh, what a special year it's going to be with the new bank holiday for sure. We're joined by Dominican priest Father Conor McDonough. Will you hear the project this guy is involved in? It's terrific. And the Irish breakfast. There's no such thing. There is no such thing. It's a fallacy. It's nonsense. If anyone says to you the full Irish, they're codding you. It it didn't exist. It doesn't exist. It's a made-up thing from recent years. I'm telling you, it is. You can debate it with me tomorrow if you want because Michael Fortune is joining us on the show to tell you all 
that it's a load of poppycock. An English breakfast? Yes. An Irish breakfast? A full Irish? It's absolute raw, mate, I can tell you. Join us tomorrow to find out more. Coming up next here on LMFM Radio, Eddie Caffrey's here with The Drive. Wonderful music and more besides. Stay with us and we'll be back, please God, midweek Wednesday with your late lunch. With an Irish breakfast, not on your life. No such thing, I promise you. See you tomorrow at half one. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.